Are you going to talk to Mullen? I'm looking forward to it, actually. There's been no collusion whatsoever. No collusion. No collusion. No collusion. Absolutely no collusion. Absolutely no collusion. There is no collusion. That's it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Well, I guess that's it. I got the feeling that something right. No collusion. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cozy Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and other fine affiliates. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around very, very swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, from, the, from the story that I had been planning to speak to with uh, my guest Marcy Wheeler about today to Desi Doyen's Green News Report yep. coming up today, all of those stories now have new big chapters to them. <laughs> yes, it keeps moving very quickly. The Yeah, what used to be a 24-hour news cycle is now an hour-long news cycle at best, it seems. But we will do our best to keep up with all of them today. Right, Desi Doyen? Oh, yes. Wish, oh, yes. Us, wish us luck. We're going to need <laughs> it. Uh, but first, there was a couple of important voting-related stories from late last week that I have been trying to get to. So let me try to get caught up on some of those very quickly today before we're joined by Marcy uh, to discuss this extraordinary list of questions from special counsel Robert Mueller, said to be for Donald Trump, uh, as published by The New York Times on Monday night, along with the related questions of who leaked those questions and why and uh, another uh, another number of other related and breaking matters uh, related to all of that, like the reported raid on Trump's old doctor's office by Trump's own bodyguard and attorneys uh, and more. So um, but we'll get to that first. Some voting related news as we all hope to be voting our way out of this mess this November. And uh, in the midterm uh, primaries that are now coming up in a bunch of states across the country uh, very, very soon. So let's start here. Late last week, an Arkansas judge blocked a photo ID voting restriction in the state that is nearly identical to a measure that the state's highest court found to be unconstitutional about four years ago. 
Yes, the Republicans keep trying. Pulaski County Circuit Judge Alice Gray granted a preliminary injunction barring the new law from being enforced and finding the measure unconstitutional less than a month before Arkansas's May 22nd primary. Early voting for the primary begins on May 7. Judge Gray called the measure an unconstitutional attempt to impose additional requirements to vote in Arkansas, siding with a Little Rock voter who challenged the law. So this is good news in Arkansas. Uh, Judge Gray wrote that the plaintiff is faced under the new law with the choice of complying with the unconstitutional requirements imposed by the photo ID law or not having his ballot counted during the May 2018 preferential primary. The court finds that this is not really a choice at all and that irreparable harm would result to plaintiff in the absence of a preliminary injunction. So she issued one. The revived voter ID law, which would require voters to show photo ID before casting a ballot, was passed by the Republican-led legislature and signed into law late last year. The judge uh, rejected a, a chief argument that Republicans have made in favor of voter ID restrictions, saying there was no evidence of voter fraud presented at a hearing in March on the law. They didn't even bother to present any they evidence. They never do. Oh my God. They never do because they don't have any. They don't have any evidence of the type of voter fraud that would be blocked by these uh, photo ID voting restrictions at polling places. There's other types of voter fraud that does happen. This one is so incredibly rare that instead they are Republicans are willing to risk, you know, disenfranchising, suppressing the vote of tens of thousands of voters. Well, that's not just willing to risk. They're intending to risk is what I would argue. I would uh, agree with you. Under the new law, voters without a photo ID could have cast provisional ballots if they signed a sworn statement confirming their identity. But in her ruling, Judge Gray said that there was no guarantee that those provisional ballots would be counted and that they would face greater scrutiny than normal ballots would. This additional scrutiny, she says, is applied solely because the voter did not present compliant photo ID when he voted and not because there is any legitimate question about whether or not he was a registered voter. State officials... Uh, I don't believe, have uh, yet said whether they plan to appeal the ruling to the Arkansas Supreme Court, which rejected the previous version of this bill four years ago. A spokesperson for uh, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge said that Rutledge was disappointed with the decision but was reviewing it to consider the next appropriate steps. So uh, good news for voters for now in Arkansas. But here's a fun fact about Attorney General Leslie Rutledge. The one who failed to show any evidence of fraud in Arkansas while defending this voter suppression law under the guise that it needs to that it's needed to combat voter fraud. Well, if her name, Leslie Rutledge, the Republican attorney general, if that sounds familiar, it may be because we covered Ms. Rutledge uh, at Bradblog.com before she became attorney general back when she was accused of. Wait for it. Voter fraud. And yes, she actually seems to have committed it. As we reported back in 2014, uh, under the subheadline, warning, amount of irony in this story may lead to head explosion. (laughs) 
Leslie Rutledge, the uh, Republican at the time, back in 2014, uh, the Republican candidate for attorney general in Arkansas, had been discovered to have uh, been registered to vote in multiple states in addition to Arkansas. And she even voted by absentee ballot in Arkansas's general election in November of 28 of 2008 after she had registered to vote in Washington, D.C. earlier that same year. That would be voter fraud. According to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette at the time, Rutledge was removed from Arkansas's voting rolls by the Pulaski County clerk after he confirmed that, yes, she was registered to vote in D.C. and possibly in Virginia, uh, even while voting illegally in Arkansas. That removal from the rolls at the time could have led to her being ineligible to uh, to run for attorney general. Matt Campbell of Arkansas's Blue Hog Report, which was uh, the first one to jump on the story back at, at the time, back in 2014, said for the AG candidate of the party who likes to scream about voter fraud to be registered in two or three places at once is ironic and amusing on its own. However, the bigger implication is that Article 19, Section 3 of the Arkansas Constitution uh, states no persons shall be elected to or appointed to fill a vacancy in any office who does not possess the qualifications of an elector, in other words, a voter. Uh, Campbell uh, argued at the time if Rutledge is not registered in Arkansas anymore, she no longer possesses the qualifications of an elector. Nonetheless, she was uh, somehow or another allowed to remain on the ballot despite committing that, yes, voter fraud. And uh, at the time, she was just outraged about it. Uh, she called it uh, a lower than low act of political desperation. The fact that she was removed from the voter rolls by Demo who she described as Democrat County Clerk Larry Crane. <laughs> Following the law. Of Pulaski <laughs> County. Uh, said that he uh, displayed a total lack of integrity by using desperate Chicago-style partisan politics to disenfranchise me. Of course, that was during the Obama era, so, you know, Chicago-style. Um, she said uh, it was an attempt to illegally secure the election for the Democratic Party. She complained that taking a person's right to vote away from them is reprehensible and a desperate attempt to help the campaign of the Democratic candidate. She says uh, this is big bureaucrat, big government, crooked politics interfering with a basic American right. Yes, keeping people from voting like the thousands who would be kept from voting under this law that has now been found twice unconstitutional in the state of Arkansas. She said Mr. Crane should be ashamed for using partisan politics to disenfranchise a voter in an attempt to hijack an election. She said Arkansas needs an attorney general willing to stand up and fight when government treads on their rights. And that's exactly what I will do when elected. Of course, she then went on to try to tread on all sorts of voters rights in Arkansas by doing the same thing. She claimed that Democrat Larry Crane had done, quote, taking a person's right to vote away from them. Earlier that same year, Rutledge had argued that she would defend, she said, I will defend voter ID laws to protect the integrity of our elections. 
until, of course, her right to vote was taken away. Then she had a problem, but not for long. Apparently, she ended up getting elected as attorney general and went on to fight to keep other people's votes from being counted. And no, by the way, the voter fraud that Rutledge appears to have committed would not have been prevented by the unconstitutional law that was struck down four years ago by the state Supreme Court and now blocked in its newer form late last week by a state judge. So anyway, uh, Arkansas is the good news on this front for now. For voters in Texas, however, the news is not as good today. The Texas photo ID law that was twice blocked over findings of discrimination after a full trial uh, that law can stay in effect for the 2018 elections, according to a U.S. appeals court on Friday in a two to one decision by the very conservative Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which had previously upheld the lower court blocking the Texas law that critics have slammed as one of the toughest and most suppressive voter ID measures in the nation. Uh, that was uh, this this new version of the law that Texas scrambled to pass recently is seen by the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court as a suitable replacement for the original 2011 law that a federal judge had likened to a poll tax on minority voters. The biggest change to the Texas law, which accepts handgun licenses as sufficient ID to vote, but not state college student IDs to vote. The biggest change is that voters without an acceptable photo ID can still cast a ballot so long as they sign an affidavit. Same thing that was found unconstitutional in Arkansas. Uh, opponents of the law and a federal judge in Texas balked at that revision, saying that criminal penalties tied to lying on the affidavit could have a chilling effect on voters. The revision to Texas's law uh, were also supported by the U.S. Department of Justice uh, in a complete reversal for the federal government under Barack Obama. The DOJ had joined the minority rights groups in suing over the Texas law. But two months after Donald Trump took office, the DOJ abandoned its argument that Texas had uh, violated the Constitution and the law and uh, argued that uh, the changes that were made in this new version of the law should satisfy the courts, that it's not discriminatory as well, despite all of the findings by the lower courts. Uh, in this case, Texas found the uh, uh, two appeals court judges who were willing to agree, apparently. Opponents, of course, uh, bristled at the ruling and they vowed to continue to fight what is uh, what they describe as one of the most discriminatory and restrictive measures of its kind. That, according to Kristen Clark of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, one of the groups that had sued in this lawsuit, Texas first passed the photo ID law back in 2011, the same year that the GOP-controlled legislature adopted voting maps that were also struck down as discriminatory, but they have, like the photo ID law, been allowed to stay in place over a decade. The uh, law was twice shot down, the photo ID law, by U.S. District Judge Nelva Gonzalez Ramos, uh, she ruled that the strict requirements disadvantaged minorities and dampened the electoral power of Texas's surging Hispanic population. She also dis disapproved of the modified version of the law. 
Democrats say this is going to keep people home on Election Day over fears of incorrectly filling out that affidavit form. Republicans have called for people to be prosecuted if, in fact, they fill it out incorrectly, whether it's accidental or on purpose. Despite the fact that voter fraud at the polling place is extremely rare, earlier this year, a Texas woman was sentenced to five years in prison for voting in the 2016 presidential election when she was ineligible to do so because she was out of jail on probation and had no idea that she was not allowed to vote. And yet she's been thrown in jail for five years because of this accident. So, yeah, no wonder Texans are a little bit uh, concerned about the effects of this law. That woman, by the way, who happened to be African-American, just a coincidence. But you can put that side by side with a story we reported last week on the Texas judge who was given a slap on the wrist for forging signatures on a petition to qualify for the ballot this past March in the Texas primary. That judge received just five years probation for his forgery and, yes, election fraud even though he's been a judge in Texas and certainly knew what he was doing was unlawful. He's been on the bench since 2000 and, uh, 2007. But, of course, he was white and a Republican, so, you know. Arkansas's newly blocked law uh, would have let voters uh, without ID cast provisional ballots by signing these same sort of affidavits. Uh, that uh, they will be allowed uh, in Texas to sign uh, unless that law is challenged. Uh, Some uh, 600,000 already registered voters do not have the sufficient ID to vote under this Texas law. But I guess they don't have to worry, right? Uh, Some some were found, by the way, during the trial over that law to have a a three-hour round trip to the nearest DMV in Texas in order to get one of these supposedly free IDs to vote. And where the latest uh, polls uh, show in Texas that Democratic uh, U.S. Senate nominee Beto O'Rourke is now in a dead heat with Republican incumbent uh, Senator Ted Cruz. So, yes, every vote is going to count, or at least it should. So I would expect an appeal in that uh, in that decade long matter now in Texas. But we'll see if anything happens in time for the November elections in that regard. We may have more on that in the days ahead. Um, But in the meantime, let's take a quick break here and we will be back with Marcy Wheeler on the latest in the Trump Russia saga, as well as some new somewhat related developments that have broken within the past hour or two. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. From Russia with love. All right, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. 
Well, uh, special counsel Robert Mueller has given a list of almost four dozen questions to lawyers for President Donald Trump as part of his investigation into alleged Russian meddling in the 2016 election and whether Donald Trump obstructed justice, according to a report published late on Monday from The New York Times. The Times obtained a list of the questions ranging from Trump's motivations for firing FBI Director Jim uh, James Comey a year ago to contacts Trump's campaign is said to have had with various Russians. Although Mueller's team has indicated to Trump's lawyers that he's not considered a target, in this investigation, still, the investigators remain interested in whether the president's actions constitute obstruction of justice, according to the AP. And if we read the tea leaves from the list of questions, it seems they also remain quite interested indeed in that so-called collusion, which is really conspiracy between members of the Trump campaign and Russia before and after the 2016 election. Trump's lawyers, now including former New York mayor and close friend of Trump, Rudy Giuliani, want to resolve the investigation as quickly as possible, but there is still no agreement on how to do that, nor apparently on an agreement to interview Trump at all using these questions or any others despite Trump repeatedly saying over the past months how eager he was to sit down and speak with the special counsel as soon as possible. Many of the questions obtained by The Times center on the obstruction issue, including his reaction to Attorney General Jeff Sessions's recusal from the Russia probe, a decision that Trump has repeatedly and angrily criticized over the past year. But about a quarter of the 44 questions also center on issues revolving around various Team Trump folks' contacts with Russia. Some of the queries also touch on Trump's businesses and his discussions with his personal lawyer, his so-called personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, about a possible Moscow real estate deal. Cohen's business dealings, meanwhile, are part of a separate FBI investigation. I should say a supposedly separate investigation in any event. The two investigations do seem to Commingle, I should, I'll, I'll describe it on a number of points. Uh, one of the questions asked whether uh, uh, asked what discussions Trump may have had regarding any meeting with Vladimir Putin during the campaign. Another asks what the president may have known about a possible attempt by his son-in-law Jared Kushner to set up a back channel with Russia before Trump's inauguration. Another asks about what knowledge Trump may have had. Of any outreach by your campaign, including by Paul Manafort, to Russia about potential assistance to the campaign. Additional questions center on Michael Flynn, Trump's former national security advisor who has pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about his conversations on sanctions against Russia with the uh, Russian ambassador during the presidential transition. Flynn is now cooperating with Mueller's investigation. So none of these questions obtained by The New York Times's Michael Schmidt looks particularly good right now for the president, to my reading in any event. And yet we have no idea who leaked these, uh, these uh, questions to The New York Times' Michael Schmidt, at least to my knowledge, nor why they leaked them. Joining us now to offer some insight on that, on the questions themselves, and frankly, much more related news that has broken since the Times 
published their report late on Monday as our friend Marcy Wheeler, an independent national security journalist at her own site, EmptyWheel.net, and at many other publications such as The Intercept, The Guardian, Politico, and now The New York Times of late. Marcy Wheeler, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. You bet. I uh, I want to talk to you about what we can learn from these uh, this really extraordinary list of questions from Mueller uh, for Trump. But uh, since then, a number of issues, other issues sort of related have come up that I want to get your take on uh, your quick take on very quickly, because I think they're both kind of extraordinary. Uh, NBC News uh, is reporting that Donald Trump's doctor his doctor from uh, before he became president, uh, his office was raided, apparently, back in 2000, in, in uh, 2017, I guess, uh, early 2017, by uh, Trump's personal longtime uh, bodyguard, Keith Schiller, to uh, a top lawyer from the Trump organization and a third man, showed up at... This doctor's office is Harold Bornstein, the guy, that nutty gastroenterologist with the long hair who said Trump would be the healthiest president ever. And they took medical records, Trump's medical records from Bornstein, apparently without the required forms. I guess you have to have a HIPAA release in order to do that. Uh, this seems this broke uh, late on Tuesday. It seems wildly unlawful. Uh, is is this anywhere close to lawful as you understand it, Marcy? Well, it's, sure, it's, it's not lawful, although Trump is just going to say that, you know, his bodyguard was, was obtaining his own records. Um, remember, this came just days after the doctor had said that Trump uses propecia, the, propecia, the um, hair loss drug. Right. So it's as if they did it to remove any evidence he had. And I joked, you know, all this time Vladimir Putin didn't need a P-tape. All he needed was proof that Trump uses Propecia. Exactly. Um, yes. I, but it, so maybe, yeah. maybe it's just about Trump being sensitive about this, that giant bald spot that he comes right. over. But, but I... But I find the timing really interesting, and not many people have noted this, but this comes just days after Ronnie Jackson mm -hmm. uh, withdraws his nomination to be the head of the VA. Mm -hmm. And in spite of the fact that Mike Pence had concerns, or Mike Pence's doctor had concerns mm -hmm. about Ronnie Jackson flipping everybody pills, um, it, and, and, and violating, Trump as I has understand gone it. After, I mean, Trump has like literally gone after blackmailing John Tester, who he blames for forcing Jackson to step down. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm interested that for over, you know, for over a year, Bornstein didn't peep about his office being raided. But as soon as Ronnie Jackson is ousted amid all of these allegations of impropriety, all of a sudden he comes clean and says that, that his office got raided. I, I don't know if they're related, but the, the coincidence seems sort of notable. Yeah, and you know, in one sense it seems like fairly small potatoes compared to everything else that's going on. But you know what? So did Stormy Daniels' uh, lawsuit before <laughs> that ended up wreaking havoc on uh, Trump. So did that so-called third-rate burglary that became known as Watergate. 
and took down a sitting president. So, I mean, it seems like this could turn into something like that. After all, Schiller, uh, or Schiller, Keith Schiller, his personal bodyguard, Trump's personal bodyguard, was actually a government official at the time. He was put in charge of Oval Office operations, whatever the hell that means. Uh, so you now you have a government official raiding a doctor's office to take medical records. Uh, and he's still on a sinecure, right? So he got moved from the White House to the quote-unquote campaign where Trump can pay him more to stay quiet. So, you know, Schiller has seen all sorts of things, probably going back to the 2013 um, P-tape, or not, this universe contest, right, Mm -hmm. that that Trump was recently lying, or got caught lying about Mm -hmm. um, how long he was in Moscow for. Mm -hmm. So Schiller clearly knows where the bodies are buried. He may, you know, he may know what's in the medical records, both Ronnie Jackson's and Bornstein's that Trump is so sensitive about. And you're right. Uh, who knows what what's going to be the thread that that will finally unravel the Trump presidency? And in fact, uh, we don't really even know why Schiller was officially uh, removed from his job as government official, Oval Office operations. Uh, do, do, was there ever any official statement on that, by the way? Uh, not an official one, but the report said that he needed more money. Okay, then. Uh, <laughs> m- uh, m- <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, let's move to Michael Cohen here very quickly. According to Jim Acosta, late on Monday night, in another one of those things that seems small, but, you know, you never... Uh, it's impossible to know right now. Uh, a National uh, Enquirer cover story targets Michael Cohen right now, headlined Trump's Fixer, uh, Trump Fixer's Secrets and Lies. And Acosta says this could be a strong sign that Trump is upset with his longtime business partner, supposed personal lawyer, maybe turning against Michael Cohen. Um, Acosta reports a source close to Trump is validating that interpretation because Trump is such good friends with the guy who runs National Enquirer for them to... Uh, call Michael Cohen a liar on the cover sends a clear signal and CNN asked Cohen his own opinion about that, uh, what, what that message that Inquirer was sending. And Cohen said, quote, what do you think? Uh, well, Marcy, what do you take from that? Is Cohen already flipping against Trump here? Trump sure does seem to be tossing uh, his old great friend Michael Cohen under the bus pretty quickly. You know, I, I, I get that interpretation, but I reflected back to um, when and how Mike Flynn got thrown under the um, the National Enquirer bus, which was around March 26th of last year. And, and it is true that the National Enquirer made him seem like he was a turncoat. They used that language specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was also the time when Trump should have pardoned him. So, you know, maybe Trump is making the same mistake again. Like, uh, again, we'll go back to the questions, the Mueller questions. But um, Mm -hmm. the Mueller questions basically make it clear that Trump from very early on was trying to get Flynn immunity or pardon or some other way to avoid any kind of legal jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Didn't do it. The reports from Flynn when he flipped last November were that he felt like uh, Trump wasn't being loyal to him. And so, yeah, maybe that's right. Maybe that's why he's distancing himself with the National Enquirer. Um, the guy's name is Pecker, by the way. And Pecker yes. turns out to be close to Cohen as well. I mean, they've got this old, this old deal where Cohen would bury stories at 
the National Enquirer, get yeah. them to pay money for these uh, incendiary stories about Trump. So, yes, I think that may be one interpretation, but th- there are so many weird things about the Cohen thing that um, I-, I hesitate to kind of settle on an explanation for what's <laughs> going on there, aside from the fact that, yeah, I think that Trump is worried about him flipping, sure. Uh, this... Uh... <sighs> I know it's it's impossible to to read any of these tea leaves in truth. Uh, all we can do is is sort of guess at a lot of them. Uh, so on that matter, let's turn to this list of extraordinary questions that was published by the New York Times. Uh, pres- presumably, these were leaked, I guess, and you you uh, suggest as much in your coverage at EmptyWheel.net today that these questions were leaked by somebody related to Team Trump in some fashion. Do, do we know that, or, or are we just uh, presuming that at this point? New York Times is pretty clear that that's the case um, in a couple of different ways. One is they make it clear that it's not from, from anybody on Trump's defense team, mm-hmm. but that could include, for example, um, Joe DeGeneva, whom Trump considered... Mm-hmm hiring as a defense attorney after the time when he already had all of those questions. And he could have just had DeGeneva keep the questions to leak at an appropriate time. And, and in fact, given the reporters on the story, I wouldn't be surprised if it was something like that or Victoria Tonsik. Um, you know, and then there is the sharp increase of kind of ridiculous leaks since uh, Rudy 911, Rudy Giuliani joined the defense <laughs> right. team. And it's unclear, frankly. I mean, Giuliani has real conflict, not least his involvement in some Turkish things that Mike Flynn was involved with. Mm-hmm. So it's unclear precisely what Giuliani's relationship with the team is. And so it may be that Giuliani leaked them himself, but doesn't consider himself part of the defense team, considers himself part of the uh, press kickback team. Who knows? Is, uh, is, but it, but is, it's clear. Yeah. The language, too, reflects that it had to have come from inside the White House. So uh, that's what I was going to say. So uh, whoever leaked it, as long as it came from Trump's side as opposed to Mueller's side, uh, presumably this means it's something that Trump or the folks on his legal team would want to be leaked out there. But if so, uh, why? I mean, these questions do not make Trump look good. Uh, They raise many questions about, you know, a potential conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia, at the very least. Why would Team Trump want these questions leaked out? Well, as you described when you were referring to some of the coverage, um, not the not the story on the questions, but the questions themselves, New York Times used this enormous headline suggesting the questions were only about obstruction. Mm-hmm. And Trump then went on Twitter and said, you know, this is all about obstruction, there's no collusion there. How can there be obstruction without an underlying crime, which is sort of the argument that the right has made for everyone involved in this all along, that, you know, that, that the case is lying and other process crimes built on top of things that aren't real crimes. So that's how he used it. And frankly, that's how the New York Times presented it. And that's how a lot of the press presented it. And so everyone is out there trying to fact check Trump today and say, but what about that question about Manafort asking for help? Sure. Um, I think the New York Times' own breakdown of the questions is bad. Um, you know, they, they like, I, it has never made sense to me that people consider the Mike 
Flynn stuff itself as obstruction, right? You know, Trump's the one who fired Mike Flynn. Right. Mike Flynn was was the person on the phone with Russia changing policy, changing the policy of the United States to uh, deliver certain things that we have reason to believe were part of a quid pro quo. I mean, the, you know, the June 9th meeting was a discussion about sanctions. Flynn is the guy who called up Russia and said, hold off on sanctions, we're going to give you relief down the road, which could be seen as the delivery of the, the quo in a quid pro quo. And I don't see any way to see it as obstruction. Right, he fired Flynn. It, there's no good explanation for why he fired him, except to take the pressure off, which and, is what he explained to the Russians themselves. And that uh, so, June that June nine meeting, by the way, you referenced that's the one in the Trump Tower between Don Jr. and Paul Manafort, and I think Mike Flynn, and uh, and and various Russian uh, characters. So yeah, go ahead. And and you know there are other questions in there about Trump's thoughts about uh, not just trying to get. Flynn a pardon, which he can deliver him, mm-hmm. but also immunity, which he can't. That would have to come from Congress. And I think, uh, you know, the question, I mean, so it is wrong, I think, to consider the Mike Flynn thread an obstruction thread, in which case we get a lot closer to a third or even more than a third of these questions, which go to the conspiracy, mm-hmm. the, the, the case in chief. Mm-hmm. Um, so Trump used them, yes, to create the illusion that there's nothing here but obstruction, which, frankly, the press has been complicit in for six months. Well, let me for six months. All of these people have been saying, well, this is just about obstruction. It's just about obstruction. It was never just about obstruction, especially not since Trump was personally involved in pushing back on the story on the June 9th meeting. And to be uh, clear here, and I don't know if uh, the the Times changed their uh, headline uh, online, but they sort of have two different stories. One is the actual story about this. The other is the the page listing all of these 44 questions. And yeah, about a third or a quarter of them are about uh, what would be considered collusion, coordination, conspiracy, whatever, with Russia. Um, but the so the the list of 44 questions uh, and the explainers for those questions uh, is headlined the questions Mueller wants to ask Trump about obstruction and what they mean. It doesn't say anything about collusion. But the actual article that Michael Schmidt wrote says Mueller has dozens of inquiries for Trump in broad quest on Russian ties and obstruction. But that's a separate uh, page, and it looks like uh, Trump, in his uh, response, you're right, he actually says uh, in a tweet, so disgraceful that the questions concerning the Russia witch hunt were leaked to the media. No questions on collusion. Oh, I see you have made up a phony crime collusion that never existed, and an investigation begun with illegally leaked classified information. Nice. So he's suggesting there are no questions on collusion, but that's quite the opposite if you actually read the, the 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 questions. Surely the folks in the media have figured that out by now, no? Well, they've figured it out about the questions, but they haven't figured it out about the last, the last six months of their own coverage. And that's my point, is that the White House has done a tremendous job. I mean, these guys are incompetent at governing and most every other thing, mm-hmm. but they are very competent at playing the press. And they have played the press for the last six months making it seem as if the only risk to Trump has to do with obstruction. And I think that's how he has played these questions 
yes, the press is finally saying, oh, my gosh, but what about this, what about this Paul Manafort outreach? Um, but it is, I mean, I think the reason, one reason, one likely reason these got leaked from the Trump camp is that it's part of their ongoing effort to play the press and to, and, and partly mm-hmm. successful. I mean, as you said, the New York Times headline for the questions themselves talks only about obstruction. And, you know, I'd say a good third of what New York Times treats as obstruction questions, they treat badly. Uh, they misrepresent he, as obstruction. He also seems to be playing the refs uh, when he tweeted an hour or so later after that initial uh, tweet, uh, quote, it would seem very hard to obstruct justice for a crime that never happened. Witch hunt! And of course, uh, whether that crime happened or not, you can still obstruct justice. So uh, Donald Trump surely knows that by now, but it would seem that he's exactly, as you say, Marcy Wheeler, trying to uh, play the refs there. So what, if anything, among the questions, uh, these 44 questions, jumped out at you? What, what should we take substantively, if anything, from this, uh, from this list of questions? Well, uh, you know, as I mentioned, there is a more explicit reference to Paul Manafort reaching out to Russians to ask for help in defeating Hillary Clinton. We had hints of that, and we know that he was in communication through a guy named Konstantin Kalimnik, uh, who's Ukrainian-Russian, to one of the oligarchs who was involved in this operation through the election. And, you know, I, I, I... Meanwhile, as we speak, Manafort is trying to suggest that the entire investigation was improper because all of these leaks about him um, being wiretapped in these conversations, when that is not what happened, uh, they were secondhand conversations. But in any case, that is the most substantive piece that is sort of new, mm-hmm. but um, but but not even new. And then there are some other details in what counts, you know, what people have counted as obstruction, um, but I think have more to do with, I mean, this, this these questions describe Trump as, as reacting badly to um, Flynn getting caught, right? Mm-hmm. And, and last week we saw with the Hipsy report, Republicans trying to say, oh, you know, it's, it's, just about uh, an old crime that never gets prosecuted. It's not about the the collusion itself. Um, he got he kind of reacted badly to the Flynn stuff and kept exacerbating it along the way mm-hmm. in an effort to kill the story. Never pardon Flynn like he needed to. There was really no way to shut Flynn up. So eventually Flynn uh, Flynn Flynn flipped. And now we're at a point where Flynn is presumably describing, as I said, the payoff, the, the, the quo part of a quid pro quo, where earlier we see things like released emails. So I, I think that's where we're at. And, and, um, and we do see more of an outline to that. Um, there are some threads about how Trump claims to be responding to Hillary Clinton, which are interesting because... Trump Trump offers three versions for why he fired Comey, and none of them make sense. You know, right. he's, he's screwed uh, there, which is, I think, why there's so much focus on, on Comey, because he claims he fired Comey because he was helping Hillary, but that's completely inconsistent with what the, what the official record 
to Comey's firing says. And, of course, he then admitted to the Russians that he fired Comey uh, because of the Russian investigation. So it's a mess. Marcy, it, in trouble. it is. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And, uh, boy, I had a lot more to ask you, but I'm short on time here. So very quickly, uh, given this list of questions, you suggest it would be crazy, insane uh, for Trump to meet with Mueller in your uh, in one of your pieces at EmptyWheel.net today, uh, which, uh, of course, makes me think he'll do it because... It, it is so crazy. But either way, uh, we spoke with uh, former assistant U.S. attorney Randall Eliason about that point a few weeks ago. And he said that, frankly, at this point, Mueller does not need to speak with Trump in order to complete his investigation and issue a report and potentially uh, an indictment. Uh, do you concur at this point from what you can tell from what you're from the tea leaves you're able to read? Uh, I do. The um, There was an interesting thing that Mueller was going to release an obstruction report. He was going to do his report to Congress in two batches, and that he was going to release an obstruction report um, soon. And that would be interesting because it would make it a key issue in this year's election, mm. right? So Republicans, he could, re- he could, you know, he he doesn't want to indict Donald Trump for obstruction. There's no way he'll do that by itself. Now, that's something that Congress can impeach him for, but there's no way Robert Mueller is going to indict him just for obstruction. But by throwing the obstruction stuff out there, it sort of uh, puts it on the Republicans of whether they want to continue Donald Trump, continue to defend Donald Trump for this stuff, um, with the possibility that, you know, Democrats win one or both houses of Congress back, he could be impeached. Once he's impeached, Sure, he can be indicted for the conspiracy in chief, and that's the stuff that he really could and should be indicted for. And uh, I sure hope uh, Mueller and Rosenstein are, are are looking at that possibility of indictment because you know if they find the, the charges. Because I'm I'm not buying this. Uh, you can't indict a sitting president thing, but we'll see. Well, yeah. Really quickly, Rosenstein said today that he buys that, that you can't indict a sitting president. So that says Mueller has to find a way to get him out of the presidency if he wants to indict him for the crime of having, quote-unquote, colluded with Russia to steal an election. So that's what I think Mueller is trying to do with this two-phase process. I have a feeling we'll be talking with Marcy Wheeler again soon. Uh, you can find her work at EmptyWheel.net. You can follow her on the Twitters at EmptyWheel. Marcy, always great uh, speaking with you as we uh, figure out what the hell is going on. Thank you, Marcy. <laughs> great to talk to you, Brad. All right. I'll tell you what. Uh, if Marcy is right that Team Trump released these questions in order to try and essentially game the media and his own supporters that the that you know that the only thing the special counsel might have is obstruction of justice no, no so-called collusion and that therefore you can't obstruct an investigation to a crime that didn't happen well you know what good luck with that uh, if that's why they leaked this if in fact the Trump team did I would suggest that they may be even more inept and or desperate than they've been uh, given credit for at this point. But we will see. Uh, speaking of inept and desperate, Desi Doyen <laughs> hey! joins us next for the Green News Report. No, not you. Uh, inept and desperate uh, EPA administration, oh, Scott okay. Pruitt. That's who I was talking about. Good. That and more, maybe. That and more in our GNR just ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> 
Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Yeah, but we can't stop the world. I know. It keeps moving too, way too quickly. Way too fast. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Already several of our stories uh, in the uh, Green News Report uh, today have already have new updates to them. Yes. That's how fast everything is now moving. So, it's insane. So uh, will we have time? Yes. We will try to get to those updates right after... Our latest Green News report. I refuse to do it. And once again, I think that was uh, some of the beginning of the retaliation. Whistleblower says EPA Chief Pruitt lied to Congress. Trump administration's new efforts to roll back fuel economy standards. Australia pledges hundreds of millions of dollars in bid to rescue Great Barrier Reef. Plus... The Paris Agreements put an undue burden... On the United States of America. The U.S. now has the first ever climate science denier Secretary of State. All that denial and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Incidentally, a tree falls in the woods is Scott Pruitt's definition of porn. Hey, talk about your money shots. This is your... Green News Report. Yeah, we all have our kinks. Okay, Desi Doyen, it is now May, and incredibly, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt still has a job at the EPA, but now a new whistleblower is stepping forward. Yep, uh, ABC News reports that a whistleblower at the Environmental Protection Agency has accused EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt of lying to Congress in his testimony last week. Pruitt had testified that he thought no EPA employees were retaliated against for raising concerns about his spending, but Kevin Shemileski, former Deputy Chief of Staff for the EPA, says that he was forced out after he refused to approve Pruitt's first-class travel and other expenses, saying an EPA manager bluntly told him as much. Hey, uh, Administrator Pruitt either wants me to fire you or put you in an office that he doesn't have to see you again. I said, do you realize we can't do that? And she just said once again, this is what the administrator wanted me to look into. Despite mounting calls for his resignation, Pruitt appears to be pleasing Trump and appears to be going nowhere. This Shimaleski guy, he must be a career official, an Obama holdover, a Democrat, a Trump hater. Actually, no. He says he's a Republican. He worked on Trump's presidential campaign and said he still supports Trump and would walk through a brick wall for him. Well, they're going to have a tough time smearing him, but... Give them time. They'll figure it out. Meanwhile, the United States Senate late last week confirmed former CIA Director Mike Pompeo as America's first ever climate change denying U.S. Secretary of State. When he was a congressman from Kansas, Pompeo's nickname was the Congressman from Coke because he's the all-time number one recipient of campaign cash from the oil and chemical magnates, the billionaire Koch brothers. Pompeo supports President Trump's intent to be the only nation on the planet – 
to withdraw from the global Paris climate agreement, as he told Democratic Senator Ben Cardin in his confirmation hearing a few weeks ago. The United States would be the only country saying we don't want to talk to you about climate under the arrangements that every other country is dealing with. You don't see a conflict with that position and trying to be the top diplomat of America, the leader of the world? Senator, there are many times that we work with our allies and there are many other times when we just don't see it the same way. Our first climate science denying secretary of state. What a proud moment. America is truly great again. And we're leading the world. No doubt. The Trump Department of Transportation and the EPA now plan to dramatically weaken fuel economy standards for cars and trucks, standards that had been one of President Obama's most significant efforts to address climate change. The Trump administration plans to freeze standards for vehicle efficiency and emissions in 2020 and leave them unchanged through at least 2026, meaning little innovation is coming and ultimately will cost consumers billions of dollars at the pump. Because if there's anything Americans have been clamoring for, it is less efficient vehicles. And spending more of their money at the gas pump. Yep. Meanwhile, comedian Michelle Wolf really touched a nerve at the White House Correspondents' Dinner on Sunday with jokes that skewered everyone from White House staff to President Trump to the journalists in attendance. As she finished her speech, she pointed out the corporate media's massive blind spot on Flint, Michigan. Good night! Clean still doesn't have clean water! Now, some in the D.C. media were outraged about Wolf's tone, but apparently not outraged that Flint, Michigan, and literally thousands of other American towns are also grappling with lead contamination in their drinking water. Finally, some good news. The Australian government pledged on Sunday to devote hundreds of millions of dollars in a bid to rescue the imperiled Great Barrier Reef in what would be the largest single investment for reef conservation in Australia's history. Half of the Great Barrier Reef has died due to warming ocean temperatures. The funds will go to improve water quality, restore corals, and monitor conditions on the world's most famous coral reef but not to address climate change. Well, aside from the environmental concerns, this is also a huge tourist concern for Australia, is it not? Yes, indeed it is. So no wonder they're willing to invest in at least that much. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you very much, Desi Doyan. Yep. All right. So uh, to some of those promised updates uh, since... (laughs) <laughs> the Green News Report. Uh, let's start with this whistleblower at the EPA, this uh, huge Trump fan, but a guy who blew the whistle at uh, 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 EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt lied to Congress when he said that... W- he didn't well, think that when he said that yeah. no one had been retaliated against for questioning his spending, that turns out, according to this whistleblower, to not be true. Okay, now since that has uh, come out, we've now learned that two top EPA officials, uh, friends of Scott, uh, are now out 
Yes. So Albert Kell Kelly, he is a top aide to Scott Pruitt, and he's a friend of his from Oklahoma. He resigned as head of the Superfund program. That's the cleanup of toxic sites. This guy, Kelly, was banned by the FDIC from banking altogether for life because of uh, problems that he'd had when he was a banker in Oklahoma. And yet Pruitt put him in charge of billions of dollars of Superfund cleanup. He has no experience in the field whatsoever. Right. He's a crook, and he's also the guy uh, who guaranteed some loans back in Oklahoma so that Scott Pruitt uh, could buy he some was, really fancy houses yeah. on a $36,000 state senator back salary. Back when he was the uh, state senator and then the attorney general in uh, in Arkansas, uh, in Oklahoma. So, uh, okay, that's one official who is out. Who's this other one now? The second one is the head of Pruitt's personal security detail. His name is uh, Pascal Nino Parada. He's known as Nino. Uh, he is retiring early. He is uh, has been under intense scrutiny for his role in uh, Pruitt's security arrangements, which have been way more expensive than any previous uh, EPA administrator. Um, he's the one that got a friend of his a contract to do a security sweep for bugs of Pruitt's office. And he's also the one who pushed for Pruitt to get a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week protective security detail, which tripled the size of Pruitt's security team and has already cost taxpayers about $3 million. And I think he's also the one who told this uh, whistleblower, Shemaleski, uh, Maleski, uh, that, uh, to, well, to shut up or go away, basically. Exactly. So he threatened him and he says he didn't, but, you know, we'll see if any of that comes out in the investigations. Um, so the final one is that California and 17 other states today filed suit against the Trump administration um, over the attempt to weaken fuel economy standards and emissions rules that we covered in the Green News report. Yep. Uh, California and these states represent over 40 percent of the U.S. car market. More on that, no doubt, in our next Green News Report. Until then, thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Marcy Wheeler of EmptyWheel.net, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, though please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.